for the quitters. Game quitters. Listen up, quitters. Game quitters. It's the Game Quitters Podcast with Cam Adair and Jason Wellwood. On today's show, I'm Cam Adair, and today I'm coming at you from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, you heard me right. And now, it's the number one game quitting podcast on the market. Ooh, ha, ha, ha. Welcome, my friends, to episode seven of the Game Quitters Podcast. I am your co-host, Jason Wellwood. Mr. Cam, how are you doing today? Hmm. Something's not quite right here. Oh, that's it. Cam's not here today. He's in Las Vegas. Lucky guy. We are going to be hearing from Cam a little bit later on in the show. He actually just gave a huge speech on helping people worldwide with video game addiction in Vegas. And well, he thought, why not share it with the world? So for those of you who couldn't go to Vegas and see Cam, we've got a full episode coming at you today of Cam's speech right from the stage, fresh off the stage, I should say. But first, we're going to intro the show as we always do. Right now, I'm going to give you a bit of an update on how the 90 Day Detox project has been going. As you may have known, if you've been following us here on the podcast i have taken on the 90 day detox for myself to see what you are going through the listeners maybe you're doing this right now maybe you're thinking about it or maybe you've already completed the detox i wanted to know what the game quitters community is experiencing and when i started this podcast with cam that was one of the first things i told him is i'm done cam i'm done with video games so i already knew coming in that i was done but i felt like I needed to make it official. So here we are another week. Can you believe it? We've had the podcast now. How many weeks has it been? Seven. This is episode seven, believe it or not. So when we started, it was episode two that I took on the detox. So that means it's been six weeks. Or I guess I should say when I took it on, it was my first week at episode two. Are we at five weeks or four weeks? Oh man. See, this is why I need Cam here. Now I don't have the answer. For all of you Game Quitters podcast aficionados, if you happen to know how long I've actually been doing this, I'm going to have to double check. I have it written down in my notes, but remind this guy because apparently I've got early onset Alzheimer's and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So it's been anywhere from, let's say, uh, five to six weeks. It's somewhere in there. I know that. It really is going by fast. 90 days, it seems long when you take it on, but really once you get into it and you start doing other things, you realize you don't really miss gaming at all. And this is a theme you've been hearing on the podcast. I've been saying this a lot. It's been a breeze for me. I've been taking this thing day by day and oh, it's so simple. It's like lying back in the sun, drinking a nice cold drink on the beach and peering out into the ocean. And then all of a sudden a seagull flies by and craps right on my chest because that's what happened this week, people. Yes, I thought I had everything under control. I thought I was the man. But sometimes, like a friend once said, if you're going to get cocky, it's going to get rocky. And rocky it did. I had a bit of a moment of, wow, I've just been blindsided. Uh, How did this happen? It all started when I decided to sell my video games. I opened up that closet and maybe you have a closet like this at home where you put the games away telling yourself I'm done. I'm packing them away and I'm forgetting about them. But maybe you went back or maybe something triggered you. You saw an advertisement for a game and it was just on accident and suddenly started thinking about games. You know the feeling, you know, it, it's, it starts inside your chest, a weird warming 
maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's, I don't know, nostalgia. What the hell is it? But you don't feel right because part of you is going, wow, games were actually pretty fun for a time. And the other part of you is going, yeah, but they've been ruining your life when they're not fun, which is pretty much 90% of the time. So is it really worth it? That's the thing you got to remind yourself of, but that can be so hard when you're staring, like I said, a closet full of games. I had made the decision to sell all of that stuff, but I did was not prepared, not even remotely prepared for what I would experience when I opened the doors. So I had to text Cam. I picked up the phone and I said, listen, man, I'm trying to sell all my video game stuff right now. I didn't think I was going to need to ask you for guidance. I mean, you know, we're doing the show together, but I need your help, dude what do I do? There is like a pinata of strange emotions going on right now. And sure, in that pinata, there's, there's O. Henry's, there's Reese's Pieces, there's all the good stuff. But then someone decided it would be like a good idea to throw in wagon wheels. Does anybody remember wagon wheels? That was like the worst treat ever. They were like a chocolate covered marshmallow thing with jelly on the inside. And for some reason, and that, hey, no disrespect to the elderly or anything, but, uh, it was just always old people had a stockpile of wagon wheels at their house. I remember going trick-or-treating on Halloween. You would go up to the door, you know, you ring the doorbell, trick-or-treat, and they'd give you a damn wagon wheel. You almost knew if the person was above 70, you're getting a wagon wheel. You're just, you know, you might as well just turn back right then because you're not going to eat the damn thing. You might use it as a hockey puck. But I digress. So the pinata was, you know, it was this mixed bag of emotions, and I was feeling it. Cam told me this. And I think you'll find this helpful. If you're struggling with that same situation, that mixed bag of emotions, the pinata with good and bad, positive and negative, and you don't know what to feel about games because you've been trying so hard to change and you know you're on the path to change, sit with the feelings. Sit with the feelings. That is what Cam told me. I'm trying to push all this stuff out and act like, you know, be the macho man and just uh, not that macho man. Oh, yeah. You excitement. Snap it to a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about, I don't have to experience this because I'm a tough guy. No, I did have to experience it. And I'll tell you how this helped me. Now, you may not be able to relate to that because I know not everybody is male. You know, granted. But I think there's a part of all of us that kind of wants to push negative emotions away and uncomfortable experiences away. You know, nobody wants to be uncomfortable, right? What I did is I, I got the call from someone that they wanted to buy a, a package of my Xbox 360 games. I had listed it online and I got in the car and I was driving and those emotions started coming back. It was like one half of me was pulling and saying, no, what the hell are you doing? Don't sell this stuff. There could be a chance in the future you might still want to play. Like, you know, when you're not as busy and you have some free time, why don't you hang on to the stuff? Think of all the memories associated. Think of all how good it used to feel playing a game. And I almost wanted to turn around to be completely honest with you. I almost did. And I bet you've been, hypothetically, or maybe metaphorically speaking, we'll say, you've been in that car yourself, right? You've been in that same position where you're ready to just turn around and head on back. You're sick of that voice in your head saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you just snap and you turn around, you go on home, but you give up. You've given up. It's kind of a scary moment. Because your progress hangs, it's literally hanging in the balance. You're on the cliff edge and there is no more room to move forward. You either save yourself or you fall a long, long way to your demise. I remembered what Cam said, sit with your emotions. So I went, you know what? Let's analyze this. 
what are the good things that gaming brought me in my past? Let's look back. And you know what? There was some stuff there. It wasn't all bad. And I think you'll agree your experience as well is going to be quite similar. It's not always all bad. The memories I had growing up with my brothers, my two older brothers, and bonding in the basement over Mortal Kombat or like uh, playing Nintendo 64 Banjo-Kazooie, I remember. I'd watch my brother play that for hours and figure out how they were going to beat the game or solve the puzzle. And like, you're so enamored as a little kid watching your older brother do these things that to you feel like impossible, right? Those are all good memories because I really did bond with my brothers through that. And I don't believe at that stage in my life, gaming was necessarily always a bad thing. Because just like you, when you got into gaming, possibly at an early age, you did it because you were a kid, likely. And that's not the same story for everyone, but I think a lot of us can can agree with that. You know, you were young and you were curious, and this was something that was just cool at the time. It 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 awakened that curiosity in you. It made you want to explore. And those are all good things for a kid. But the thing is, we can't stay there forever. I had to look at those memories and go, I'm so grateful I had that because there was a lot of happiness there. It wasn't all bad things. But I also can't avoid the fact that there's a lot of things that gaming did bring that didn't help me. And I think you'll agree with this too. What I noticed is as, as I got older, it started to become more of a negative thing once I started to use it to cope with, you know, things I was feeling like as a teenager, man, you know, if you're in your teens right now, I feel for you. People don't always understand you. They don't always listen to you. They think your problems are small and don't matter, but like, so not true. So not true. In fact, if anybody tells you that you're, you're just a teenager and you don't know what you're talking about, don't let them tell you that. But sometimes we use things like games to escape from all that stuff in our lives that is very real. And I did that. And it's ironic because as I sat there thinking about what I was experiencing and feeling, I realized I never did that as a teenager. I always went for the escape because it was easier. And that didn't teach me to grow. So all of that thinking got me somewhere. The doubt, that urge to turn the car around, it wasn't even there anymore. In fact, I was smiling. I cranked the music up, started singing to my favorite song, And before I knew it, I was at my destination, ready to sell. So I sold the games. And you know what? Walking back to the car empty-handed, well, other than a nice wad of cash in my hand, I didn't feel like I lost something. I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel like I got cheated, like I made a bad decision. Nope. Honestly, what I felt is the weight coming off the shoulders because I knew that I just got rid of the biggest trigger in my life, which was a piece of that closet. And now, moving forward, it's going to be a lot harder for me to slip and fall on my ass. (laughs) And for that, I'm grateful. So if you're going through the same thing, just remember that. Whatever you're feeling, it's fine. You're human. You know what? You're not perfect. Neither am I. Nobody is. Again, if you're in the car yourself, ready to turn it around, sit with the emotions you're feeling. Don't tune them out. Don't drive faster. Don't turn around without thinking about it first. Remind yourself why you're doing this. At the end of the day, this detox is going to be hard, but don't forget that the community's here for you. Game Quitters community, log on gamequitters.com, check out the forums, post your questions, or you probably will find things on there that you might be experiencing yourself. I mean, there's so much to explore there, but you know, you've got the Stop Gaming Reddit community and their Discord chat channel. You've you've got a lot of resources at your disposal for free. It's going to cost you nothing. Check out Cam's YouTube videos, all great stuff, right? This talk that's coming up, it's inspirational enough. Just remember, you're not alone. 
and stay strong wherever you are in your detox. Maybe you're not even on it, thinking about it, you've done it. I think you can relate if you're listening. So I wish you the best. Thank you to the community that has just given us so much. You guys are awesome. We love you guys. And I hope you enjoy this talk. Straight from the man himself, Camadere in Las Vegas. This is fresh off the stage, people. So good stuff. Hope you enjoy. So what you'll learn today, you'll learn what video game addiction is, what the causes are, and how to help someone with it. You'll learn what the demographics are, what to expect after someone quits, and what to scream for, how to reach more people who actually want help, and what gaming addicts want therapists to know. We're serving 25,000 members a month in over 80 countries around the world. We have 150 videos for free on YouTube. We have 20,000 journal entries where these are members from all over the world journaling about their experience and, and supporting each other. We even have members who support each other in their native languages like Polish and Portuguese and uh, Korean, French, uh, Dutch, I mean, lots of these different languages. And, and we have found tremendous results from people being able to support each other in this way. Uh, we have a program for $47 for gamers called Respawn, and we have a program now for parents. You'll remember last year that that was one of our missions over the next year was to start creating more resources for parents. And so I'm proud to announce it, that we now have that. Uh, and again, very affordable for, for everyone. So the four specific reasons why people play. Games fulfill these needs that we have. These are just human needs we have, and there's nothing wrong with them. But understanding what these needs are is extremely important if you're going to help someone to be able to quit playing video games. It's not enough to just say, you need to stop playing video games. Because when you say that to someone, let's say a 15-year-old kid, what you're actually telling him is to stop having friends. What you're actually telling him is to stop having any fun. He's going to have to be bored all day long. He's no longer going to have a purpose in his life. He's no longer going to have a way to deal with stress. Now, the, the common sense perspective would be like, well, okay, you no longer have this way to deal with stress, like just find a new way. But that common sense perspective overestimates someone's intangible ability to actually do that. The number one question we get from people who want to quit playing video games is, I want to quit, but what else will I do with my time? It's not because they're not smart. These gamers are actually incredibly smart. You could even say maybe potentially too smart for their own good sometimes. But they actually don't know what else to do with their time because gaming has been the central thing they've done from maybe as young as one, two, three, four, five years old. Gaming is all that they know. So the four needs, temporary escape games allow you to escape from stress in your life. Social connection, gaming is a social environment. It's a social community. It's where they connect with their friends. It's how they spend time with their friends and it's where they feel welcome and safe. It's where they feel accepted. I'll go more into this later, but when society is stigmatizing gaming and saying that you're lazy, you're wasting your potential, why do you play these silly video games? You're actually only creating an us versus them mentality where for a gamer to quit gaming is for him to re-enter the society that doesn't understand him or doesn't value him. So that's a huge need that we need to fulfill if we're gonna help someone quit playing video games. Constant measurable growth is the next one. Games are specifically designed for you to always see your growth and progress, and you get it through instant gratification. I can turn the game on right now and start to see progress in my life. 
Whereas in real life, that's kind of harder sometimes. I can go to the gym for months and months and not really feel like I'm making a lot of progress. Sometimes you're growing and it feels like you're dying. Sometimes you're, you're not able to see a leaderboard. You're not able to see your level up. But in a game, those are specifically designed for you to see that. And that really, really matters. You'll see more of that later. And purpose. I think this is a, a really important component of why people play video games. Games are specifically designed for you to always know what to do next. You have to beat this boss, beat this weapon, or get this weapon, beat this level. When you wake up in the morning as a gamer, you know what you need to do. You have a reason for waking up. You have that innate motivation. In life, again, that's hard. Should you get this job or this job? You apply for a job and get turned down. That doesn't feel so good. Gaming is a really safe place where there's no risk. You don't have to deal with rejection. If you fail in a game, you just press the restart button and you try again. In life, that's just not the same way. And even if it, even if a, a mindset you could have is that it's the same way, that doesn't mean that that's what their uh, perspective of it is. Games are intentionally designed to keep you hooked. Gaming companies employ state-of-the-art behavioral psychologists, and they are absolutely using every mechanism possible to get you to play more. That's why they exist. You can also think about social media. Facebook exists for you to spend more time on Facebook. Why? Because then they sell more advertising. It's their entire purpose, their mission, to ensure that you spend as much time on that website as possible. And if they can find any little tweak, and they're always looking for it, to keep you on the site more, they'll do that. And games are no different. And especially when it comes to mobile games and the intersection that gaming and gambling are now having, I think that can be very problematic, and we see it. So to quit playing video games, you need to fill the void with three different types of activities. The first is something mentally engaging. They need a skill. They need to learn programming. They need something where they can see their growth and progress. They need something where it's a new language. It's um, starting a business. Something where, where they really get to see their skill develop because it replaces that side of why they came. They also need something resting, is how I call it, which is something to do at home when they're tired and bored. Imagine you go to school or work all day, you fulfilled your obligations, and now you come home and you could justify, hey, I've already done everything I'm, I'm supposed to do today. I can just game. Now, that doesn't seem problematic, and, and for 90% of gamers, it's not. But for someone who's a video game addict, that can be extremely problematic because that causes them to stay up until 2, 3, 4, 5 in the morning, to neglect their kids, to not spend time interacting with their friends and family. There's a lot of negative consequences from that. And so they need something at home when they're tired and bored from the day. Things like cooking, listening to podcasts, reading, journaling, anything that allows them to, to kind of rest from the day without having to think too much. And they also need something social. One of the reasons our community is so successful is because it gives people a sense of community where they're able to be around people who are like-minded and who understand them. When someone quits playing video games, they're going to have a major shift in their social circle. Not only because all of their friends are also gamers, so now they have to set some boundaries around that, but especially for kids in, in school, 
gaming is the dominating narrative or, or conversation topic. So when you quit playing video games, you're now going to school where you have nothing to talk about in common with the kids at school because 90 plus percent of kids in high school or younger are gaming. So what do you talk about? So you need to help them find social activities, things like joining a martial arts club, rock climbing, extracurricular activities after school, and also supporting them with how do you actually develop your social skills? How do you make new friends? What do you talk about other than video games? It's not enough to say, just go make new friends. They don't know how. And so you have to be able to help them develop some of those intangible skills like social skills. You also need to focus on a 90-day detox. Did anyone see the ABC 2020 feature recently on digital addiction? Anyone? Okay, cool. It's not very good, so that's fine. <laughs> there was a father who was profiled who was a father of four. His name is Chris. And when he would come home from work, he would basically say hi to his kids quick, and then he'd go again. And his wife said that she didn't realize she married a gaming addict until after the honeymoon. And watching the footage was really intense. And we see a lot of that. We see a lot of fathers like that. Um, but Chris was on the 90-day detox from our program, which is 90 days of cold turkey absence, which is what I recommend. And there's a couple reasons why. First. I've talked about the needs that gaming fulfills. And those are all important. And if you're gonna help someone with this issue, you have to address how you fill that void. But there's this other side, which is games are specifically designed for you to be, for the, for the stimulation you get to be hyper-stimulating. So games play at this level, real life plays here. And your brain gets used to that. And in order for your brain to come back to a normal level where it can enjoy this sort of experience, you need about 90 days, that's what research shows. And so there's a couple things that happen when you're addicted to gaming. Number one, you'll have numb pleasure response, right? Every, everyday pleasures no longer really satisfy you. You'll also have hyper-reactivity of gaming, which is gaming is super exciting and everything else is boring. And they also experience willpower erosion due to changes to the prefrontal cortex, where even if they wanted to quit, they wouldn't have the willpower to do it anyways. So 90 days is what research shows they need for their brains to come back to normal dopamine expectation levels. And the first three days will be the worst, and then the first three weeks you know, are kind of like the second most challenging time. But after three weeks, they'll start to, to feel a lot better. And during that period, you can expect things like cravings and urges, compulsions to play, withdrawal symptoms, especially boredom, Boredom is an actual withdrawal symptom. It's not just an experience of gaming is fun, but this activity is boring. I feel like a video game addict who goes skydiving can still find it boring because it's not a video game, right? So, so boredom, especially after the first three weeks, that will subside. They'll lose their friends, they'll lose their ability to have a conversation, they'll lose their gamer identity. Something about video games is a lot of video game addicts now, they've started you know, so early in their life, two, three, four, five years old. They've been gaming their entire life. Gamer is their identity. Gamer is what they know. Gamer is who they are. So when they quit, they're losing that. That 
scary. And they're not just losing that identity, they're losing, again, all the needs it fulfills, and they're experiencing all of these withdrawal symptoms, all at the same time, and they're 15 years old. It's a lot, it's hard, it's scary. And even just sharing with them that it's okay to be scared, it's okay that you're unsure right now, it's okay that you're uncertain, that helps a lot. The reason the 90 day detox works and, and why I wouldn't necessarily recommend saying you can never play video games ever again is because it's such an intense experience at the beginning. But what we find is they're willing to commit to 90 days and uh, who in here, I'm curious, thinks that telling someone 90 days might be like a lot, like 90 days seems like a lot of time. Anyone feel that way? So it's interesting, right? When I ask our community if they feel like 90 days is a lot, they never say it is. And I think that's because of their gamer, uh, the, the way they are as a gamer where it's like, it's like a challenge. Can I get to 90 days? Can I experience this? I'm gonna try it and then reevaluate. And what we find is if I was asking someone to quit playing video games forever, I would rather them have an answer to that question after 90 days, when they've had 90 days off of gaming, then at day zero. And the reason is because for most of our community, they have never even experienced what life is like without gaming. So you're asking them a question that is completely unknown. But after 90 days, first their brain is gonna come back to normal levels. They're probably gonna have some new friends, they're gonna have some new habits, they're gonna have a new lifestyle, that they have survived 90 days without gaming, I can go a year, I can go a couple years, I can truly move forward, and they get a contrast of what life is like with gaming and what life is like without gaming. That gives them a much better informed opinion on whether they should be gaming or not. And we see that a lot where a lot of our community after 90 days, they decide, you know what, gaming just isn't really good for me, and so I'm gonna continue. Or there's a section that they want to try it. They try the game after 90 days, and very quickly they realize, this actually isn't really good, and I'm falling into bad habits again, my life is, is not going so well again, but because they have that experience of what life is like without gaming, it's easier for them to make that decision to take that next step once again. You also wanna pay attention to struggles with time management, so they need lots of structure, and it's not just gaming, but they also spend a lot of time just mindlessly browsing the internet. So, demographics. Our community is 90% male. The average age of our community is 23, and they're college students. I'll go more into that a little bit later. 48% of our community on YouTube is between 25 and 34. YouTube, you would think, is more of a platform that kids hang out on. So the fact that our largest demographic on YouTube is between 25 and 34, is very interesting. And that section of our community really relates to either working adults or supposed to be working adults, a lot of fathers, a lot of fathers who are coming home and they're, they have very poor relationships with their wives, they're neglecting their kids. That's that demographic. A study out of CAMH found that 13% of students between grades seven and 12 had symptoms of a video game problem, and that was a 4% increase since 2007. That number for me is extremely alarming, and the reason is 
That equates to over 120,000 students in Ontario, Canada alone, which is one province of 10 in Canada, and we have members in 80 countries around the world. So how many millions and millions of students are we looking at? Uh, I'll go more into that a little later. 60% of our community are either in school, unemployed, or earn less than $500 a month. So I had an email the other day from a 12-year-old. His name was Jacob. And he said, hey Cam, thanks so much for your videos. They've really helped me turn my life around. I get emails from 15-year-olds in India who say, you know, I can't afford a $50 program. Can you help? And I'm like, of course, here you go. Right? There's a reason why we have 150 videos for free on YouTube, and there's a reason why even our paid program is only $50. And just mindless browsing on the internet. Mindless browsing, to give you some context, is just watching YouTube videos, just watching other gamers play on websites like Twitch. It's a big part of it. Um, I really think of, of digital addiction as an umbrella that contains gaming, the internet, which is just mindless browsing, social media, which affects women far more than men, and porn. And we need to be paying attention to all of these. A lot of our community decides to quit porn and gaming at the same time. So our study that we did, uh, so I did this study with Dr. Daniel King, a professor out of the University of Adelaide in Australia. We've been doing it for over a year. And I have just some numbers to share with you today on it. We just finalized the draft and we've submitted it. And so I, if you want a copy of it, when it's available, send me an email and, and I'd be happy to send it to you. But a couple of really important points. The first is we sectioned off the people who, so the study was the 90 day detox. Commit to quitting video games for 90 days. And they filled out a survey on day zero, 15, 30, 60, and 90. And then we kind of looked at all those different numbers. So dropouts were people who either, like, or who basically just didn't finish the surveys. So maybe they dropped off after the second survey or the third, and we kind of counted them as dropouts. The abstainers finished the entire survey process. So the dropouts meant 6.6 .6 out of nine criteria for internet gaming disorder that's currently in the DSM-5 as, as needing further research. 54% had an intention of quitting gaming indefinitely. And 84% knew they had a problem over 12 months ago. That to me is very important to know. 84% knew they had a problem over 12 months ago and still continued to play. 54% had the intention of quitting indefinitely and they dropped out. And most importantly, they met six out of six criteria for internet gaming disorder for the official diagnosis in the DSM-5. The proposed criteria is they have to meet five out of the nine criteria. And currently, uh, did anyone see that New York Times article about video games aren't addictive? So that article is extremely problematic for many reasons, but this is an example of it. We have this community here who are meeting the proposed criteria for internet gaming disorder. And then we have these weird researchers out there saying, video games aren't addictive because they're no more addictive than eating a slice of pizza. Oh, and as we heard yesterday, <laughs> food is a modern drug, and we live in America where obesity is a major crisis. The abstainers met 6.1 out of nine criteria for internet game disorder, and 
meant moderate plus risk for depression. Right? So when you're thinking of screening, we'll go into that in a second. A lot of our community struggles with not just video games, but also depression and anxiety, and you could also say social anxiety. From the people who quit, when they first came in day zero, from a quality of life measure standpoint, we used, the, uh, we used an adapted quality of life measure scale that was built for eating disorders. They met 3.5 out of, or 3 .5 out of 10 points for their quality of life, overall quality of life, measuring 12 different areas, so things like psychological health, relationships, vision for the future, their beliefs and values, um, optimism, 12 different areas. Three and a half was when they came in, and after 90 days, they were at seven. Imagine that sort of jump in your quality of life after 90 days. That's why 90 days is so important, because they get to experience that. And when you experience that, it's a lot harder to say no to it in the future. Now this next point is, is part of why I believe it's so important that we talk more about this issue. Both abstainers and dropouts in our community began gaming at an average age of nine years old. And they gamed over 25 hours a week average and over 25 hours a week of other online activities. Now, why do I believe that them starting at nine years old is extremely alarming? I believe that because if you think about the CAMH study that we just went through, which is 13% of students between grades seven and 12 have a video game problem. Our community started at nine years old. How many kids do you think in the world right now start using gaming or technology at nine years old? Like maybe 1%? No. Most kids now start at one, two, three, four, five years old. And the compounding negative impact of every single one of those years is extremely significant. So what does this 13% number look like in five, 10, 15 years when those kids right now who are starting at one, two, three, four, five years old are now those students in grade seven and 12? Is it 20%, 25, 30? This is millions and millions and millions of students and our largest demographic isn't high school students, it's college students. So these are things you should be screening for based on the study that we did. The first was continued play despite negative impact. Again, 84% of our community continued, they knew they had a gaming problem, yet they continued to play. Failed attempts to quit, 80% of our community met that criteria. Loss of interest in other activities, that's a big one. You'll hear the justification that I play video games because I don't like anything else or I'm just so passionate about video games, I don't feel that way about anything else. And to some degree, that's true. And when you look into the way that the brain is impacting, or, or the way games are, are impacting your brain, that's more of a symptom of that than just the truth that you don't actually enjoy any other activities. And how could you enjoy any other activities when you've actually never done them? <laughs> so use gaming to escape 71%. This slide is actually inaccurate. Preoccupation, that's actually 90% of dropouts met preoccupation. There was actually a difference uh, for dropouts, it was 90% for preoccupation, and for abstainers, it was in the lower, it was lower than 71, because I did those based on uh, the highest criteria. So that's interesting. Preoccupation, 90% met that. And depression, you definitely want to be screening for that. 
So if, if people come in to your clinic saying that they're depressed, which is far more likely for them to come in for depression, you should be screening for video game addiction. Because they, they might, their parents are, or they might feel like, well, I'm coming in because I'm depressed and I want help, but they're spending all their time gaming. And you have to address that as well. So here's in their own words, because you can believe me or not, but you can just listen to them. My freshman class was the first to have more dropouts due to World of Warcraft than to drugs, and it wasn't because drug use was down. I'm failing out of college pretty hard right now. I kept this to myself, but everyone knew I was taking too much time playing instead of doing real work. They just see it as a failure more than a real problem. That last sentence is essential around this topic. They see it as more of a failure than a real problem. I didn't request or receive any help from the school. I remember going to an in-house psychiatrist once and I was diagnosed with having trouble adapting to a new environment. They didn't ask me if I was gaming excessively and I didn't tell them either. I didn't show up to classes, procrastinate immensely to skip tests and homework and use gaming as an escape. My professors and teachers weren't aware of it and didn't even care. No one asked any questions. I have thousands of these. And what you want to take away from it is that no one asked any questions. They just said you have trouble adapting to a new environment. You need to study more. You need to sleep more. When I talk to superintendents, they tell me gaming's not a problem for their students. Research doesn't support that. My own work doesn't support that. And I know that gaming's a problem for their students. But what teachers see when a gaming addict comes into their classroom is someone who has been up all night. They might think they were up all night studying. That's definitely not the case. Maybe someone who hasn't showered or someone who's having trouble focusing in class. But they never take the time to ask, what are you doing when you're not here? It's not because they're not studying enough, it's because they're gaming all the time. Asking more questions is essential, whether you're a psychiatrist, a counselor, a therapist, or in the school system, or as a parent. If you don't ask questions, you, they're not going to come to you to let you know that this is a problem and there's some reasons why. Gamers are extremely defensive. It's due to society shaming them as gamers. You're lazy, you're wasting your potential, why do you play these silly video games? Or, games make you violent. For the last 10 years, or maybe 20 years now, when school shootings started to happen in the US, there became this narrative around video games, that video games make you violent. Now, I'm not here to debate about whether or not that's true. Personally, I believe research on that is very inconclusive either way. But what happened was the dominating narrative, especially in the media, was that video games make you violent. Now, whether that's true or not, what that's done is it's stigmatized gaming and gamers as you guys play these video games and you're violent. When I ask my community if they resonate with games being violent, you'd be lucky to find 5% of them to believe you at all. In fact, when I even put out anything around video game addiction, I have, we have people come and attack us saying video game addiction is not real. Even though we all know someone who probably games too much. Or as we all know in here, gambling is 
is real and, and gambling disorder is real, how could we say that video game addiction is not real? So a couple, in April, we had a post on reddit.com go viral. And it was someone who, the thread was, dear college students, why did you get expelled from school? And one of the top posts on that thread was someone talking about how he had multiple roommates fail out of college and get expelled due to gaming. Our community got linked to that post, and in three days we had 55,000 people come to our community. 2,500 new members signed up. So just imagine for a second, 2,500 new people walk into your clinic asking for help. That's the situation we found ourselves in. And my laptop died in the middle of it. It was a little bit stressful. But 55,000 people came to our community in three days, and half of them did not like us. Half of them said, is this a joke? Video game addiction isn't real. They even said things like, you guys are taking away from people who have real problems. Now, for me, I can handle that. Right? I can handle haters. I have a YouTube channel, so I get lots of them. <laughs> but what hurts is knowing that there's a 15-year-old reading that who now feels like he's not accepted by the world, even though he genuinely has a problem. In this debate about video game addiction being real or not, I try to be mindful of, of the conversation that we create around it, which is, let's actually just share the stories of people who are struggling with this. And as psychiatrists and therapists and counselors we have to, and researchers, we have to be mindful that if someone walks into your office and is sharing that they're struggling with this issue, and you sit there and you're like, well, you only meet three out of the nine boxes that require me to be able to treat you for this issue. That person is there because they genuinely want help. They actually don't really care if they're officially diagnosed or not, they just want help. And I understand the implications when it comes to insurance and all of that, but we also need to remember that if people are coming to us asking for help, how can we help them? And how can we help them in a way that they resonate with and they understand. Part of the value I want to give you guys today is, is how do we help so many people? How are we able to manage you know, 2,500 new members coming to us? Or, or why is it that we have so many people coming to us saying, hey, I want help? It's not like we're going out there talking to every person saying, hey, do you want help with this issue? They're coming to us. And they could be as young as 10 years old, 12 years old, saying, hey, will you help me? There's a couple of reasons. The first is that our website is not bland, boring, and sterile, no offense to the professional community. <laughs> it's cool, it's fun, it's relatable. It's, the website is something to be proud of. Uh, I have stickers, and we send stickers out to people, and they're proud to be a game quarter. Uh, we actually have a member here from Australia who's here today. You know, it's something to be proud of. We use colors, so a lot of professional therapist websites are like a doctor's office. They're very white uh, and very professional, and I understand that because you're, you're trying to represent that you are a very clean and professional organization. 
Just remember, you have to market to the client, not other therapists. Market to the person you're trying to reach. For me, when I swear in my YouTube videos, Carol might not like it, but the 15-year-old who plays video games connects with it, because he's like, wow, this guy actually understands me. Right, so you have to market to the person you're trying to reach, not the professional community. We also reach them where they are. So we have, you know, gamers spend a lot of time on YouTube, on Reddit, on forums, and they search things into Google. People literally type how to quit playing video games into Google, and 5,000 people come to our community a month because they find this when they search that term. So what are the terms people are searching who are trying to find help with the issues that you're trying to help people with? How to stop gambling. How to tell if I'm addicted to gambling. Is poker gambling, right? We all know these terms. What are the, the interesting questions? What are the justifications? And having content, uh, you can think about the term like search engine optimization and trying to, to create videos and blog posts and content around that. You'll start to, to meet people who are actively searching for help and want help, and now that empowers them to be able to get the help they need when they search for it. And we do not shame or stigmatize. Literally every interview I do on the media, every piece of content I do as much as I can, I started by saying, I'm not here to say that video game addiction is, uh, I'm not here to say video games are bad. I'm not here to say that if you want to play, you shouldn't play. I'm just here to talk about if you play and you don't want to, or if you want help, I'm here to give you some help. But if you want a game, you can go ahead and game. I'm not here to, to make a moral judgment on that. So I asked our community, what's some advice you have for therapists? And here's what they said. Games have no pause button. They have no end. There's always something else to do. That really speaks to the sense of purpose that gaming provides. That unlike other addictions out there, it's omnipresent. There aren't barriers like the cost for alcohol, hoops jump through for drugs, or limited locations for gambling. Nowadays, everyone has technology, and 90 plus percent of kids are gaming. Gaming is used as a babysitter. Gaming is something that they know. And gaming is even free now. In fact, schools have fully committed to having students submit their homework online. So I talk to parents and they say, well, we want to reduce our son's gaming, but he needs it for school, right? So it's not enough to just say, you have to stop this. We have to figure out how to have a healthy relationship to it. Gaming addicts are great BSers like other addicts. Parents will think, at least my kids aren't out there drinking or doing drugs without knowing how deep the spiral goes. That online games provide a sense of accomplishment, conquest, and belonging in a group. It then numbs and diminishes the drive to achieve those things in the real world, which in turn contributes to cravings. Because you want to return to the online world as soon as possible to experience those sensations again. A non-gamer therapist may struggle to understand just how thoroughly games can supplant one's own understanding of value, work, and effort in the real world. Again, that's because you get to see your growth and progress. Games are extremely explicit in the expectations and consistent in their rewards. Real life is murkier. Actions and outcomes often have no linear relationship, 
To a gamer, this in inconsistency can be extremely demotivating. Getting your life on track does not have an XP bar. <coughs> Very important. You also want to understand that you are up against an industry that made over $30.4 billion in the United States in 2016. They are very good at what they do, and a solid grounding in abusive game mechanics like Skinner boxes, free-to-play games, microtransactions is, that stands for, in my honest opinion, extremely important. So understanding things like microtransactions, games that are free to play and how they actually hook you, especially if you're in problem gambling. A lot of mobile games will be free to play, but then after playing for, say, 15 minutes, they'll stop and they'll say, you're no longer allowed to play unless you uh, wait 24 hours or pay a dollar. It's called turn-based delays. Now, in that moment that that person is playing that game, they're bored, standing in line at the bank, they're stressed, they need a break from work, and for one dollar, they can play, or they can wait 24 hours. And in a society that is based on instant gratification, how many people do you think are gonna be like, ah, I'll come back tomorrow? <coughs> no, they'll pay a dollar. And then another dollar, and another dollar, and we currently have uh, one of the members of our board of advisors, her son spent $8,000 in a week just three weeks ago. One dollar at a time. You have to understand these things. You also want to understand that for me personally, I love the competitive aspect as I'm a very competitive person, but I'm not great at sports due to physical problems. However, with gaming, if I play lots and try hard, I get better and therefore I get a higher skill rank. It's rewarding and I use it as a competitive outlet, but it simply takes up too much time. Just to backtrack on the $8,000, the way that happens is that you can set up credit cards, parents' credit cards, on within games and on like Xbox and PlayStation, and you can purchase enhancements to the games. And in order for him to get his account there, he was able to just spend money, and he spent $20,000 over the last year. And that's, it's very simple. If you can spend $10 and get an enhancement to be better, to be able to, to do more things, and to be a higher rank, why not? And $20,000 a year later. And now it's not just that he spent that money, but when he goes to quit, how do you think he feels about giving up an account that cost him $20,000? Of course, he doesn't want to give that up. Right? And so that's part of it. And, and that's not just for money, but time played. Imagine putting 15 years into a World of Warcraft character. And you're just going to quit and give that up? Right? So that's another thing you want to address. So in conclusion, video game addiction impacts at least 10 million people around the world of all ages and backgrounds. It starts in high school, as the ChemH study showed, but it expresses itself in college. In high school, they're able to get away with it. You have parent supervision, you have to go to school, and then all the rest of your free time is gaming. Now in college, you no longer have parent supervision, you have less structure, you have more responsibilities, harder classwork, more stress. The way, that, the way you deal with stress is you gain, so you get further behind in school, so you gain more, and that's the cycle. Eventually, maybe you even drop out of college, which again, we see 
so many of thousands and thousands and thousands of these guys who drop out of school and then you're living at home not working. And there's some research now, Time Magazine just posted, The Economist just posted, there's a lot of research coming out about the impact that gaming and gaming addiction is having on the workforce. Because young men in their early 20s without a college degree, their employment rates are dropping sharper than any other group. And an economist found that 75% of their time that used to go to working is now spent gaming. So this is having a major impact on the workforce. This is having a major impact on people not just graduating school, but becoming productive members of society. We had a member just recently from uh, Amsterdam who shared that she's 80 days without gaming. She's been trying to finish school for years and years and years. And she said after 80 days of not gaming, she finally feels like a productive member of society. There's a significant gap of awareness for everyone, including gamers, parents, schools, and therapists. And shame and stigma are major factors keeping addicts from reaching out. You know, we see that kind of across all addiction. There's research by James Driver out of New Zealand who found specifically the shame and stigma element when it comes to video game addiction. They are not going to reach out to people, and the reason is because they do not believe that you speak their language, they do not believe that you know what video game addiction is, or that you're going to understand what they're going through. And an age gap does play a role in that. And so it's very important that you read up on things like gaming lingo, and what the popular games are, and you understand kind of gaming culture a little bit, so that when people come into your clinic and you say, hey, you came here for depression, I'm just curious, you know, do you play video games? And you start to ask them about that, you hear what kind of games they play. You ask them, why do you play these games? What kind of games do they play? If they play first-person shooter games, no, they're not going to become the next school shooter, but maybe they're competitive. They like to be the character, right? Whereas if they're playing a game like World of Warcraft, that's more of a role-playing game where they get to play a character. So if someone likes competitiveness, sports, right? They love sports. If someone is a role player, things like film, right? Drama, improv, things where they can play a character. They'll be very interested in that. They've just never had the opportunity to try these different things. So understanding some gaming lingo and understanding gaming culture is essential if you're gonna be able to resonate and connect with these clients. And of course, GameQuiz.com has a ton of resources for gamers, parents, therapists. I'm very adamant that if someone emails me, I respond. So if anyone here has any questions, whether now or later, please email me. I'd be happy to support you. And you can email me here, call me, talk to me on Twitter. I love to speak at schools, organizations. And if you're looking for the program for gamers, you can go to GameQuiz.com and it's called Respawn, or for parents and or therapists, Reclaim is our program for them, which is kind of like an educational package. I guess that's the end. <laughs> um, we are going to take questions. Um, I'm curious for a little more explanation about um, the gentleman who had invested the $20,000 over time purchasing these things. I think what I was, what I heard you alluding to is when he quits gaming, and as part of your recommendation, he would be closing out this account. 
So what he bought permanently goes away. Where if he left the account open, those enhancements and those things continue to be available to him. Is that is, is that the challenge for, for that decision? Yeah, and it's it's very much it's a it's a time and money invested in creating something that if if he gives it up, whether it's a twenty thousand dollar account or just something you've gained for fifteen years, it's the the perspective on it is that that's now all of that's going to waste. And it's no longer an investment that you made that is now paying off. Uh, paying off as in you're able to be a top rank in the game, and you're able to be seen amongst your peers as a top rank in the game. And what I do to help them with that is I just help them understand that very much how I frame this whole thing is that you're just closing a chapter in your life and you're entering a new one. And this chapter had gaming and it was meaningful to you. It meant something, it was uh, a purpose, it was, it was very fulfilling, it, it was, it's nostalgic, all of it. And that's okay. And now you're moving into a new chapter that just doesn't involve gaming. And my new chapter involves surfing and having my own business and traveling and hanging out with friends and, and doing these different things and, and just helping them let go of, of this other chapter and that frame seems to help with that. Probably three years ago, I was one of those people who didn't really take uh, video game addiction seriously. Um, now, I've been working with teens in an addictions treatment center, and I'm seeing it all the time, and it is a very serious issue. Uh, one of the problems that I run into a lot is the, the kid's motivation for change. They're kind of in the pre-contemplation stage, whereas I think most of the people that are probably coming to your website are at the point where they're like, okay, I need to do something different. Whereas the kids that I see, it's because the parents are bringing them in. The parents recognize it's a problem. I see it's a problem. The kids do not. Do you have any uh, recommendation on how to deal with something like that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's a million dollar addiction question, right? And it's really tough. And so what I recommend, a couple things. Uh, the first is framing the 90-day program as an experiment, right? So. Uh, I, I frame it as, hey, try this. And afterwards, if you want to reevaluate and reevaluate your gaming, then we have an opportunity to have that conversation. But initially, let's try this. That's one thing. I also like to, I, I find that when they understand why they do what they do, which is the needs that it fulfills for them, and they understand the, the way the brain impacts gaming, it tends to move them from, I think, I don't really want to do this to like, okay, I feel like I need to do this. So that helps. But even further than that, addressing gaming directly, if they're defensive, is going to be extremely difficult. They're not going to listen to you. So what I like to do is I actually focus more on porn. So there's a great TEDx talk by Gary Wilson called The Great Porn Experiment. And a lot of our work around the 90 day detox and the research around it is based off of his work. And what I find is they may not be super stoked about talking about video game addiction, but they are more willing to talk about porn because it's, it's not the same level of stigma and like, uh, they don't feel like they're under attack. And when they learn, especially through that talk, that the science between porn addiction and gaming addiction is the same, it tends to open their perspective to, to making some shifts. And so for example, I remember my first time watching that talk, 
It's about porn, but he references that the same thing kind of happens with gaming and with marijuana. And at the time, I was someone who was smoking a lot of pot, and you would have had a hard time convincing me that that was not healthy for me or not really a problem. But after watching that talk, it kind of opened my eyes to, oh, maybe it's not that healthy for me. And now that's a very different relationship I have with it. So sometimes it's not attacking it directly, and instead trying to find something around it that will speak to the same thing. And it's super hard. Like I have parents email me all the time who say, can you talk to my kid? And I'm like, of course, I'd love to talk to your kid. And he's like, what do you want? You know? So I, I get that. I get that. Um, so with the gambling, we often uh, say that it's best that the gambler not step foot into a gaming establishment, even to go to a restaurant or anything like that. So um, as far as gaming addiction, I know that there's a gentleman on YouTube named PewDiePie, who is uh, the richest YouTuber in history. And he made his millions off of playing video games while people watch. So um, you have a lot of young people from teen to college age that will say, um, you know, his lifestyle screams that gaming addiction is, is not only is it not a problem, it's sexy, it'll make you popular, and it can make you a millionaire. So you hear a lot of teens will say, yeah, but, but look at this, look at this guy, this guy, I can make millions off of this. This is not addiction, this is dedication. This is research, this is, you know, me doing what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, do you recommend um, an abstinence staying away from YouTube or, or places like that, any kind of social media or all social media, or don't watch YouTube videos because one video links to another, links to another, links to another, and eventually a gamer will come across PewDiePie or Leafy or Ricegum or any of those guys who make millions of dollars off of playing online. So I'll, I'll address it from a couple points, and, and first I just want to give you props for even knowing those names. <laughs> so, Should we ask her more questions? <laughs> one of the things that I find with gamers is, is that, again, their sense of desire for achievement and challenge is very high. And so I actually pose challenges just to kind of piggyback off the 90-day detox. I say, hey, if you can't play video games for 90 days, then should you really be playing them? And sometimes it, it uses their ego in that way of like, oh, okay, well, let me prove that I can. And so in this similar way, I personally do not recommend for them to be watching streams, watching other players play, and being extremely aware of their mindless browsing habits. A lot of our community, unfortunately, when they quit playing video games, if they're not super intentional and structured in, in following the advice that we share, they do find themselves just sitting online, reading blogs, watching YouTube videos, and not really getting out there. Now, on one level, that's not ideal and, and certainly not what I want them to be doing. But it's a step in the, the right direction and a lot of them tend to then begin to recognize that, oh, like video games aren't video games aren't the only thing I'm struggling with. I'm also struggling with just this mindless browsing. I'm also struggling with porn. And I really need to get out there and start doing some things. So we do find that. Now what I recommend is for them, watching PewDiePie or Leafy or any of those guys, for them, it's they feel this strong connection to following their journey. So I really recommend for them to find some new people to, to watch and follow who are more aligned with their new values and goals. So 
Uh, if they're interested, interested in entrepreneurship, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He has tons of videos that are go out there and build a business and do these things. Uh, I imagine that a lot of our community find that by watching my videos where they get to see I'm in Las Vegas now speaking, whereas at the beginning I wasn't there, right? So finding replacements when it comes to the fact that they can become professionals. This conversation is only going to accelerate dramatically right now because colleges are now giving scholarships for esports. And yet colleges will not, like almost refuse to bring me to speak about video game addiction even though research shows that like, lots of kids are dropping out of high school or dropping out of college and failing classes because of video game addiction. So now you're gonna have college students justifying their gaming because they can get a scholarship to go to school and become an esports professional. Now, I'm not against someone going and being a professional esports player or streamer, but we also have to understand that, A, the likelihood that you are going to become a professional gamer is less than you becoming a professional athlete. Just the sheer number of people playing video games compared to the number of players playing basketball is very different. So it's not that you shouldn't pursue that, but here's the challenge. If you want to be a professional gamer or you want to be a professional streamer, it's not just about playing more. I was a very high level hockey player before my video game addiction. And I understand that video or, or playing hockey was only one small slice of what was gonna help me reach the NHL. It was my diet my sleep habits, my social life, my lifestyle, my ability to manage my time, it was all these other things. And so if you have someone saying, well, I'm gaming XYZ because I want to be a professional, I would pose the challenge that if you actually want to be a professional, maybe it's time to start studying professional athletes or professionals in their sports. World-class Olympians, they have a lot of other habits that actually help them get to that point their mindsets, their healthy balance, all of it. It's not just about playing more. And I think that's where you bring that conversation in. And I do believe that this eSports scholarships is, is this next wave where it's gonna be extremely problematic. And, and so I hope that we can talk more about that. Uh, thank you very much. I was here last year and uh, was absolutely blown away by your presentation. I'm raising a grandson, he's now 11, and I went home with all of your information and I remember one specific thing you said, no more than a half hour a day of video games. That was one thing. Um, the update information is outstanding, thank you for that. My concern is the monitoring, it's a constant monitoring if there are kids in the house. and. Now he gets an allowance, and all he wants to do is buy video games. And another thing you mentioned was about the violence. I personally believe there's a lot of violence in these games, and young minds pick this up, don't realize that people really die. That this is, that life is not a game. And I thank you for addressing that. Can you give us more information for those of us who have to deal with people in our home that are totally, I mean, it's like a constant monitoring. It's beyond, like you said, every kid in school is doing it. 
Um, kids do other things. And the other thing I, you mentioned was the time wasted. So much, like Carol said, it's a video book machine. You never get that time back. Um, can you address that some more about this that have kids at home? If they're not at home, it's a lot harder to gain. And I think that it's not an easy answer. Um, I empathize greatly with the fact that as parents, you have a ton of other things going on. You go to work, you're home, you're tired, you have to cook dinner, you have to do all these things. I think it's really important that if you were trying to have a conversation with me about video games while I was at my house and the computer was right there, that was the end of the conversation because my brain is computers right here. So even getting me out of the house to have those conversations helped a lot. Now I think we need to do just um, a better job having kids in other activities, having them outside the house, having other things going on. You know, this room probably relates to that. When you were younger, you weren't at home all day long sitting in front of the computer. You were outside playing games and, and maybe you were even like kicked out of the house. Like go outside and play, don't come back until the sun comes down. Now, <laughs> The important thing about that though is that in doing so, it wasn't just that you were outside. It's that by being outside, you developed the ability to be spontaneous, to be creative, to be social, to come up with games to play, to entertain yourself. And those intangible skills are all the skills that my community does not have when they quit playing video games. So we need to find ways to help them develop those skills. And I think if you're cooking, Enrolling the kids, enjoying you during that experience, having them outside the house more, uh, keeping them on their toes, doing day trips and adventures, and finding any way to have them outside the house is automatically going to cut down the time you have to monitor. But the truth is that if they're at home, you might have to monitor them a bit, and it's not ideal, uh, but it's important. And it, it's it's one of those things where last year. When I shared this presentation, we had members in, in just we, about 38 countries. And this year it's 80. You know, so this problem is growing. And as parents, I think we, we have to learn to be that much more present with our kids, to be those role models for them. And when your kids are looking at you, are they seeing someone living an inspired life full of passions and purpose that is like yourself? And I say that with the most amount of love and the most amount of empathy that I can for parents and, and I can only imagine how difficult that is and I know as gamers in my community that example that they're seeing has a massive impact uh, but the other part is the social side so for your kids to not be gaming it means that they're on some level a bit of a social outcast at school and so their desire to have the latest gadget and the latest game and the latest enhancement and playing more and more and more is the way for them to hang out with their, their kids at school. And so I think really helping them be able to have, find those kids at school who are not gaming or have those other activities like rock climbing or martial arts, that will help a lot. For full-length episodes of the Game Quitters podcast, be sure to check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash gamequitters.
or visit us online at www.gamequitters.com.